0: Welcome. You may be a member at Rochester Church of Christ, or you may follow us regularly online, or you may have been referred to this by a friend. Either way, we're glad you're here. This is Adam Hill, Minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ, and I hope that this message will speak into your life with the good news about Jesus. I want to welcome you today. This is the conclusion of a wonderful week of VBS. And so you can still see that we have the set, we have the background, thank you Kenny, we have all of this set up because today during our class time we're going to be blessed to watch our musical that our kids have been working so hard on, Uh, and so all of the classes will be right here today. Uh, and so after we finish our service, we'll have a small break for some people to have some fellowship and then we'll get started with our musical and we're glad that you get to see that. These, our young people have been working all week on this theme of tell me the truth. And to wrap up the week, today I want to spend a little bit of time with one of the stories that they looked at this week, uh, the raising of Lazarus from John chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 11. We're going to be there today. And I wanna look at the idea of God, our Redeemer, okay? One of the things they studied and talked about this week was that God is our protector. And so last week, we talked about God as our protector. This week, we're going to talk about God as our Redeemer. All right? And to start that, I wanna begin with a reading. Now, um, it is our tradition that we stand in honor of the reading of God's word, the authority of God. And so if you would join me and stand as I read from John chapter 11, verses one through seven. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, So when he heard the news that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Heavenly Father, we know that your ways are not always our ways. That your timing is not our timing. But God, help us to trust and know that What you do is right, and your timing is always on time. God, I pray that as your people, we can be honest in our faith. When we wrestle with doubts, we can know that there is a place for doubt. But God, that you would give us the strength to doubt our doubts and the faith to trust you in spite of them because you have always been faithful. God, we thank you for being our Redeemer. It is in Christ's name we pray this, that the whole church says, amen. You may be seated. So on February 3rd of 2010, my friend Josh got a text from his older sister, Jenny. And the text message said that she had a fever of 105 and that she was headed to the hospital. She was admitted to the hospital. They took her in immediately. They diagnosed her with pneumonia and severe sepsis. Within one day, she was in the ICU with severe group A strep infection in her bloodstream. Her condition was rapidly recli- declining when Josh arrived the next day, and he was told that his 31-year-old sister had been given a 50-50 chance. All he could do was stand by his sister's bed and cry and pray. Shortly thereafter, doctors amputated her legs in a radical treatment option. They comforted the family telling them there was a one in 500,000 chance that the infection would reach her brain. In the meantime, an army of friends and loved ones and concerned brothers and sisters in churches across the United States, across the world, lifted hundreds of thousands of prayers for healing to God. Churches fasted. Churches prayed, churches did all that they could to plead for Jenny's health to be restored. There was a one in 500,000 chance that the infection would reach her brain and on February 22nd, the doctors told them that this is exactly what had happened and that it would be fatal. The family gathered in the hospital room sang a hymn, and Jenny died at age 31, leaving behind a husband, David, and a nine-year-old daughter, Maliah. When Jesus found out that his friend Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was for two more days. I can't read this verse without thinking of Jenny Bazillion. I don't know about you, but I generally want my friends to respond when I'm in need. And I I don't just want friends who are there for me when things are going well. I need to know that when things are not going well, my friends are going to respond and are going to step in to help me. When things are going poorly, I need them to show up and show up for real. Lazarus is one of Jesus' good friends. And when he gets sick, his sisters call his best friend. And Jesus stays where he is for two more days. Finally, after a couple of days, Jesus says, "Let's go back to Jerusalem." His disciples, though, are a little concerned. They say, "But Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back." They understood Jesus is not going back immediately as a practice in um, safety. Self-preservation. That they want to kill him there and so he's not going back in order to keep himself safe. That's not what Jesus has been up to. Jesus' rationale for staying where he was was it's not going to end in death and the glory of God will be revealed. All right, that, that, That's what Jesus' rationale was. Here we are, and they say, "Wait, wait, 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 wait! It's not going to be safe." I can tell you this from experience. Twenty-five years in ministry has taught me this: that some of the most kingdom-denying questions we ask are rooted in safety, wanting to make sure it's going to be safe. Jesus promised that God's glory would be revealed, and it's not though that Adam. They don't, it's not that they don't want that. It's just that they want to be assured of, of safety. They want the ability to control outcomes and events just like we do. The problem is when we apply that to living out the kingdom, we engage in an idolatry. We mask it as wisdom. We got to control the outcomes and, and endings, though that's idolatry. That's, we need to be in control. That's not what the kingdom asks. The kingdom asks that God is in control and that we submit we trust God. Jesus tells them He's going back no matter what, and they're still unsure. You see, here's the deal: when Jesus asks me, "Adam and I, am I enough for you?" Because I need to know. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be mean to y'all. I'm, I'm preaching to me right now. Because when when Jesus asks me, Adam, am I enough for you? I'll admit that sometimes my answer is almost. But there is a gulf of difference between almost and yes. And my goal is that I will be the kind of person who says yes. When Jesus says, am I enough for you to say, yes, you are. Even though I don't understand what's happening or why it's happening this way. Yes, you are. That's my goal. That's my goal for every one of us. That I want to uproot that that festering doubt that, that, that keeps us from saying yes instead of almost. Jesus in verses 14 and 15 says what's happening a little more plainly. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him now. We're going to go wake him up. So in verse 17 and following, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been dead in the tomb for four days. How many days did he wait? Two. Gets there. Four days gone. Which means that by the time he got the news, couldn't have made it back in time. Okay, don't lose sight of that. As the rest of the story unfolds, (laughs) I would want people to know that. All right. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. Okay. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. (laughs) But Mary stayed at home. Jesus takes his time getting there, so it's no surprise that when he shows up, Martha and Mary are both more than a little upset. After all, how do you react when God doesn't show up and do what you want? God, I prayed. God, I called out. God, I asked for help. I begged you for your presence, and you didn't show up. What gives, Lord? I'm out here on your side. I... Would it be better if I wasn't? Would it make any difference? Now, Jesus could have defended himself. When, 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 when they come and approach him and they say what, they say what they're going to say, because listen to, what, listen to what Martha says. 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Plain and simple. Simple. If you had been here, my brother would be alive. You allowed this to happen. Jesus could have defended himself by pointing out that even had Jesus left the very moment he found out that Lazarus was sick, Lazarus would have been dead for two days by the time he arrived. But he doesn't do that. You see, Jesus understands they are upset because they actually have real faith. They believe in who he is and what he is doing. They have genuine conviction that Jesus had the power and means to change the situation had he been there. And so there's the question of pain. If you, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. But there's also a statement of faith that follows in verse 22. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus responds and says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, Martha is the most advanced and theologically nuanced disciple in the New Testament at this point. (laughs) She knows stuff that other people don't get yet. As a matter of fact, the church in Corinth is going to try and split over whether or not this even exists. Alright, you can read verses you can read chapter 15 if you want. In 1 Corinthians 15, I would encourage you. But that they're gonna argue over this. Martha's got it unlocked. She said, No, 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 I get resurrection last day, he's gonna raise. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha thinks about the resurrection as an event. Something that's going to happen in the end. And Jesus wants her to realize that the resurrection is a person. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not asking you, Martha, if you mentally assent to a theological doctrine about the end times. Martha, I'm asking if you believe in me. Martha, I can raise the dead because I am the resurrection and the life. And Martha in verse 27 says what? Yes, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Martha believes in the person of Jesus. Okay, that's one sister. Now we've got to meet the other one. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. She said, the teacher's here and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet even entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. She knew he was coming. She saw him coming a while out and went and met him. All right. So when the Jews saw that Mary had how quickly she had gotten up, they had been with Mary in the house comforting her. They noticed how quickly she got up. They went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Instead, she's going to Jesus. So now they got a little bit of a crowd. Mary reached the place where Jesus was. She saw him. She fell at his feet and said, "Keep track of this. Is the second time someone said this to him." Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The second time he's heard that, both sisters, he's two for two. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And for the second time, Jesus does not defend himself or answer directly. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus is not some stoic, unmoving philosopher's deity. Jesus is pained and is troubled, and he weeps. Scholars have asked themselves the question, why does he weep? Which I think is a little silly. But some say he's weeping in response to the faith that he sees in Mary and Martha. Ooh. Okay, if that makes you feel better, you can, I can't disprove that. It, it's, not, it's not what the text is saying. Some scholars have said that Jesus weeps because he sees all the other people crying, that, that Jesus is a sympathy crier. Because okay, the text at least does say he looks around, sees Mary crying, sees everyone else crying, and then he himself cries. And, and I'll say this, it is true that Jesus feels for us when we're hurt that Jesus is not unsympathetic, that Jesus is broken and hurts when he sees his children hurting. I believe that. But I probably find myself in this third group that, that would say that Jesus weeps because he's sad over the death of his best friend. That even Jesus feels it when life Hurts. Sometimes life hurts. And when it does, you just might need to cry. Jesus did. In this moment, Jesus shows us that it is all right to be human in the times when we are overwhelmed and it hurts. Sometimes we're so good at putting on the church face that we forget that we're a church made up of real people. You can be a real person with real hurts and real tears and real questions and still be a follower of Jesus. Jesus weeps, but not forever. At one point, he dries his tears and he does the work that his father gave him. Look at verses 36 and 37. It says, Jesus wept, but then the Jews said, see how he could love him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? If, you, if, you're, not, um, if you're not aware, that's the third time. This whole death has been laid at the feet of Jesus by the folks around. Martha said it. Mary said it. Now the crowd says it. It's, all, it's almost like John wants me to ask that question. Jesus won't answer it directly. Martha wanted to know. Mary wanted to know. Crowd wanted to know. John keeps bringing it up. Now I want to know. Where were you, Jesus? Couldn't you have stopped this before it happened? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. The Lord, said Martha the sister of the dead man. By this time there's a bad odor for he's been in there four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off his grave clothes and let him go. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? This question is unsettling. How do you stand in front of the tomb and everyone standing around you knows and believes that if you had been here, we wouldn't be in this situation? And then ask that same group for faith. Jesus is asking, Do you believe in me? To believe that I am from God and I will reveal God's will and God's power and God's glory. Jesus is calling them to believe and Jesus is calling us to believe. He is not condemning them for their questions. It is not wrong to have questions, it is not sinful to wrestle with doubts, but know that Jesus will call you beyond those doubts and you will have to use your faith, the evidence of things not yet seen, in hope that you may see an answer. It's not that Jesus asks me not to have doubts. It's that he does ask me to not have faith, more faith in my doubts than I have in him. Don't have more faith in your doubts than you have in me. He promises victory over doubt if I will trust his love. And even in the face of our worst losses and our worst fears, Jesus calls us to believe, promising that we will behold the glory of God on display. And so he prays for God's glory to be revealed, and this is the glory they behold. Jesus proclaims the message that humanity needs more than any other message. Jesus reveals to us a kingdom built on one truth that cannot be ignored. He announces one gospel that stands true in the midst of all of the pain and the hurt and the grief and death around us. And the core of what he's saying is that in Christ, life wins. That's at the core of this gospel. That God's love for us means that life wins. And so Lazarus is raised. Death does not get the final word, God does. And God is the God of life. Amen? I want to share with you a quote from Frederick Beekner. That is one of my favorites. And it's a little bit longer, so I went ahead and put it on the screen for you so that you can can think through it with me. He says, "What what Jesus promises is resurrection. And out of death will come another realm of life. Not because by our nature there's a part of us that does not die. But because by God's nature, he will not let even death separate us from him finally. Because... He loves us in love. God made us and in love. God will mend us in love. God will have us as God's true sons and daughters. And before God is through in order to do that, one life is not enough. God knows. And so some of us will die, but there is a life beyond That is our hope, and it's going to take more than one life for God to completely separate us from death and bring us into God's presence. Amen? So, Kenny, I want to go ahead and invite your team up. On the day that Jenny died... My friend Josh recalls the feelings of complete shock and absolute grief as he and his parents walked slowly and numbly out of the hospital shortly after her passing. And as they walked out with broken hearts, with tears still on their face, not even dry yet, with anger that in spite of all of their prayers, Jenny had not been healed Even now, years later, Josh says that he'll never know why God didn't heal his sister Jenny. He still hurts. He still gets upset. Still gets angry. Still asks questions. But he also finds faith. A scarred faith is what he calls it. (laughs) That gives him hope. He says that as they walked out of the hospital, his mom asked out loud, Remind me what we believe? What do we believe? And after a brief silence, her husband answered, The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? God is our Redeemer. God will save us from death. through death, God will save us. We are promised resurrection. The tomb is empty. Are you ready to follow him, believing in the face of death that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Are you ready to trust Jesus, believing him when he says, I am the resurrection and life, and life wins. Yeah. I did a funeral this past week, and I, and, and, and I said it there, and I'll say it again. It is easy to believe in death when you look at the world around you, there is lots of it. The challenge of faith, the call of faith, the invitation of Christ is, will you believe in life? And if you're ready to say, yes, I believe, and I want to stake my existence on it, then I want you to be baptized into Christ today. If you're ready to say that I want to give my life to Jesus, I want you to come forward today. I want us us to immerse you into Christ. If you're hurting, and you've been wrestling with doubts, and you say, I've been a Christian, but I... I," Sometimes my questions are better than my answers. I understand and our faith is not a solution to everything. Our faith is a confession. More than it is simple answers. That life wins. And if you need prayer of comfort, we want to pray with you. You can come forward and ask for prayer. In a moment, we're going to go to the corners in our four corners of prayer, and you'll have a moment. You can pray with someone if you want to pray with someone. If you're going through a struggle and you're saying, I got these questions, don't miss the opportunity to come to a brother or sister in Christ and say, help me see the God of life today. Because he loves you. He cares for you, and he chooses you. Let's stand as we praise him today. Rochester Church of Christ is called to live God's gospel, truth, and love with the world so that we all may find life together in God. We are not a perfect people, but we long to live in ways that help people see God and the kingdom more clearly. To learn more about our family of faith or to connect with us, visit www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.